Hey everybody, it's Matt Powers. I'm a gardener, seed saver, family guy, and educator. And I'm talking today to, to you <laughs> about weeds in your garden. Do you have too many? Is your garden overrun with weeds? All right, so if it's crowding out your food before it can even grow, if you're feeling like all you're good at is growing those weeds, I'm gonna tell you a story and you know, I'm gonna tell you some science and maybe it's gonna give you some insight and it's gonna change everything for you, okay? So let's start with my, my story. So I started doing gardening just the way everyone else did. I actually pointed my rows down the hill so in our area where we need every drop, I put them the opposite direction they should be in. And I just, within the second year, all the gophers and all the weeds had found my site. And it was just like overgrown. And because I didn't do a winter garden, it was even worse. I wasn't, you know, putting in a cover crop. It just exploded with weeds. And I could, and it was very difficult for me to like reclaim areas. It was like starting over and it was painful. And for a lot of people, they feel like they're starting over every year or halfway through a season because the weeds are so incredibly fierce. And there's specific reasons for that. And I'm gonna take you through a bunch of scenarios and you might be like, oh, that's me or that's me. And you know, we'll get to the science and you'll see why it happened. You'll see what you need to do as well. So testing our soils for a pH will tell us whether they're alkaline, whether they're you know, acidic, but do it in multiple areas. See where it is in multiple sites on your property because that's the only real way that you're gonna get to know, get a general idea. And even pH you know, is very, very general. You're getting an aggregate of something that changes every micrometer. So, pH is a, you know, it, but, but that general pH does tell you a lot. There's a lot of information about that out there. So, alkaline soils. Alkaline soils, they, are nit they have nitrates as their form of nitrogen. And as it crosses over um, through neutral, through 7 pH, it changes. But above that, where it's alkaline, it is going to be nitrates. And what does nitrates feed? What, you know, because you know, fertilizer, nitrogen, it's a fertilizer to most people in their minds. So what does nitrate feed? Well, it feeds the weeds and it feeds vegetative growth and annuals. So it does have, it does have a place. That's why we see you know, vegetative growth and then we see reproductive or fruiting or flowering growth in the gardening store. We see different bottles because one is nitrates and then the other, is ammonium. So um, ammonium is in acidic soils and that's the form of nitrogen available. And ammonium feeds reproductive, it feeds flowering, it feeds fruiting. And so it's opposite. So we do in our garden need to have both. That's why a no-till situation is good, but we also need to hug, we need to hug the pH neutrality, the, the seven, which is water ideally. So we need, to, we need to hover around that. We could be a little acidic, we'd be a little alkaline, but as long as we're near there, we're gonna be able to do amazing things. Um, obviously, there are super acidic soils out there. There's super alkaline soils, and some of them are caused by things with constant pressure, constant accumulation of something, and it's, and you can't really reverse it without changing everything, you know, and it, it, it's meant to be that way. Like, you know, the ocean is alkaline for a reason. The, the, the deep, you know, old growth forest is acidic for a reason. It's part of the forest secession, okay? So 
Compost, though, is the buffer, okay? This is what we can do. And I say compost first because compost has the ability to buffer pH. So it's gonna move things up or it's gonna move things down. But it's, you know, I mean, what is compost really? It's composted, decomposed organic matter. And what's decomposing it, right? The decomposition there is soil life. That's what's breaking it down. And a lot of what feeds that is the nitrogen. So we wanna keep this in mind as we go through this, okay? So we wanna feed our plants a balanced diet we don't want to be too acidic. We don't want it to be too alkaline, unless we're very specific. I mean, if we're doing a blueberry, you know, farm, we're gonna be want to be acidic, okay? Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. So compost teas and extracts. This is the next level of compost. So you've taken that compost and now you're 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 scaling it up. You're turning it into compost tea. And then you can tweak it. You can make it like be perfect for those tomatoes or or those brassicas or you can actually tweak it to be exactly what you need um, so that it'll uh, really favor your garden area. Extracts the same way, compost extract. Um, it, it, it feeds more fungal foods. Um, and then cover crops. Okay, so cover crops are a broad range of things. They cover legumes, they cover nitrogen fixation, but they are also about covering the ground, bringing in biomass and different forms of nutrient accumulation. So you might have something that's bringing in phosphorus, that's bringing in potassium. Um, and legumes, you know, they're known for bringing in nitrogen. They're also bringing in a lot of biomass. Let's keep that in mind. Um, there are also other nitrogen fixers other than legumes. And there are other plants that are really good at not fixing nitrogen with rhizobia, but partnering with different soil life and then scavenging really well with their root systems and pulling that nitrogen in. We talked about that yesterday with daikon radish. So ripping and broad forking, this is also something that can be done. When we rip a landscape, we're not inverting or mixing the different layers of soil. We're instead creating a, a cut that when it rains, the land will swell and heal right back up. So it's really not as invasive as it sounds. Ripping it, ah! And then broad forking is similar where we're aerating, we're loosening the soil. These are really important things that we can do to help, you know, fight the weeds. Um, and we'll get into why. Um, so chop and drop. <laughs> we need to chop these weeds and drop them in place because the reality is if we don't, if we just pull them, we're going to undo what they were doing. So they're accumulating nutrients just like all things are. Remember the biodynamic or the dynamic accumulator thing that we kind of debunked? All things are accumulating. So they're accumulating stuff specifically for that spot. And then also they're tying together the soil in different ways. So if your soil's really loose, you're gonna get that, that uh, you know, that uh, Bermuda grass. If your soil's really compact, you're gonna get dandelions. If, you know, if you've got, you've had fires there, you're gonna get fire weeds that come out after. And they're all trying to repair, bring biomass, bring nutrients back into balance. So chopping and dropping fuels that secession. You know, you're leaning into that secession and it is easy and fun. You're not pulling things up, you're just chopping things and it brings you tons of biomass. And then sometimes you're gonna want to do earthworks. 
but not always. You might just rip a site um, and you might not need to put in swales, but sometimes you might need to. Um, you might be in a really hot region and you might be, be doing you know, sunken beds with raised paths so it wicks the water down. This, you know, there's so many maybes here with, with earthworks, but there's a lot of, maybe you don't. You know, maybe the gentle path, maybe the path of least resistance is the way you're gonna go. Um, and then biochar. This doesn't work in all regions. Some regions, you know, they just, it just gets eaten up super fast. Some regions it eats up the humus. Um, but the key to biochar from all these studies, from everything I've looked at, is we need to inoculate it with life so that the biochar, before it even hits the soil, before it even touches that, goes from a state of being this like void, this suction, this like, I wanna, I wanna bond with everything, right? This, this home for, for life, we wanna occupy all those niches so that when we place it into the ground, it just helps everyone around it instead of being a taker, it becomes a giver. <laughs> so we need to make sure that we treat biochar correctly. And so those steps are things that we can do to fight the weeds. We can bring in tons of organic matter, the right soil life, and we'll calibrate it to what we want. And then we can smother them. So you might be bringing in seeds. You know, you might be bringing in tons of cowpeas and then throwing on so many that the weeds just can't even compete. And then because of their associations with the soil, they're calling in for the soil life that favors them because they're, they're outnumbering everything. And then they're just, whoo, they're causing this whole situation where everything becomes this whirlpool towards what they wanna do. And then those weeds are really you know, out pressured. And you can do this a bunch of different ways. Some people are doing sheet mulching. Some people are you know, broadcasting thickly with legumes. Um, you know, there's a lot of different options. Uh, some people are just taking the turf and flipping it um, and then putting, you know, the, and just minimally doing stuff like that, planting trees, and then it, it doesn't always work. You might have to be aggressive. And that's why I give you the whole list. Because you might try composting. You're like, wow, the compost really makes everything happier, but I'm not seeing much of a change. It's like, all right, well, then you may need to figure out what weed that is. It's behavior. You might need to figure out that that's one that does well in those garden soils because there are those you know not all weeds are alkaline based most of them are some of them are are, are weedy trees and so they're perennials and so they're they're happy ever you know some of them are very broad spectrum and so we need to understand what's going on and sometimes it's a soil structure sometimes it's nutrients sometimes it's minerals um, and then sometimes it's just it because it's there and it has no pressure. And so you, we need to apply pressure like an animal would so that it will react and, and find a balance. So wherever you're at, there's always an option. <laughs> and I've covered just, just a few of them um, in this situation. In your area, you might be in a pyrophytic zone. You might be doing, you know, low heat burns. You might be you know, doing the trees up and that might be part of the way that you keep the weeds in check. Um, and that would work and that would be acceptable if it didn't cause mega fires as it is causing right now. And that's why we need to specifically create the situations of protect and then make that happen so that those burns do happen in a safe manner. All right, guys, 
Thank you so much for joining me. I hope that this gives you some tools to you know, respond to those weeds. Look up online, see what pH that weed prefers. Because half the time, the thing that's bothering you is desirable in another part of the world. And they're like, oh, to grow this wonderful thing. And you're like, wonderful thing, oh. You know, <laughs> so you look up the pH and you're like, oh. Well, it's just like, you know, there's a pH of our native soil. And that's why it's, you know, taking over here so invasively. It has no competition to that thing and that thing that normally eat it are here. So you start to see the why behind it. And then you start to understand, oh, but how they remove it in their countries. They, they go in and use a pitchfork and they lever it up. So you don't break any of those roots off and leave them in the ground. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. And then, and then suddenly, you know, you have an actual methodology because some things you might have to physically remove, uh, especially if they're perennial, like trees or, rhizo or like rhizome-based um, problems, like sunchokes. Some people love sunchokes and some people are like, it ruined my garden, I can't get rid of it. And it's because, you know, they didn't plan it <laughs> and they didn't try it once and observe it in a controlled situation. Uh, that is really, really critical. <laughs> So look these things up, create a strategy, try some of the things I'm talking about. They're best practices anyhow. Doing legumes, cover crops, compost, composting, calibrating it to what you want. It's a win-win. I mean, that you can't lose doing those things. It will improve things. Uh, no matter what your goals are or the problems you're facing, those are standbys and they will help you. All right, guys, thank you so much. I will see you tomorrow and I hope that you're getting ready for 2018 it's going to be absolutely incredible. 2018, I believe, is going to be the year that regeneration becomes a household word. Regenerative organic certification, the standard, is about to become something that we start seeing in stores. So the word regenerative, beyond sustainable, not just sustaining where we're at, which is not good, we need to constantly improve and get better and keep adapting with nature and keep spreading life. We want to have a syntropic effect, right? We want to constantly grow life and life and life instead of this entropic effect that we've seen in, in recent history. So what we need to do is we need to use this year to start that conversation. Whether it's with our neighbors, our family, our businesses, or ourselves, this is the year to start putting that, that do the next step. You started the compost. Now do compost tea. You, you, you've done all like the permaculture design thing, you've got it all. Now learn how to scale up and make it your business or how to use that knowledge in your current business to make it even better, make you more competitive and profitable. We're at that moment where everyone is doing this. I know of over a dozen amazing, life-changing, world-altering books and courses that are coming out in the next year. I know of so much like buzz and interest and like finally discussing these ideas is happening. I know people are, you know, being fixated on the presidency and uh, what's happening with our administration in the US right now. Um, but the thing is the ball's rolling and moving forward regardless of that. Um, and, and the reason is, and a lot of people, you know, they're like, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Well, it's like, oh, maybe we should stop funding the thing that he's allowing. It's like, oh, maybe he's, he's allowing that, but it already was existing in other areas. These negative things that they're worried about happening to our national parks and everything, they're already happening. 
So it's more like how do we as individuals, families, and communities become self-sustaining, bioregional, and ethical? Because if we live our ethics, suddenly we're not buying anything from those destructive companies and corporations. And then our money is within our local economy, so we're like we're lowering the amount of money that's leaving our community and leaving through taxation even. So we're, we're going to be literally changing the political like dynamic of our communities by being independent. I mean, this is how America was created, right? We became independent and then declared our independence. We were functionally independent and profitable and we realized England was relying upon us. And so we were like, why are we doing this? We're just, you know, funding your wealth when we could just manage ourselves. And it's, and it may be that time in many people's lives to realize that, yeah, maybe we don't need any of that nonsense. Maybe we take away those levers from them and then we get to work by actually doing the work, by actually committing to what we ethically feel. So if we feel like we should have bicycle cars, let's start getting together and start building them. Let's start declaring half the highways for bicycle cars. Let's start, you know, limiting the usage of vehicles, limiting the usage of these things on our own. We don't need a law to do these things if we make it our culture. And that's the whole point of permaculture, guys. I mean, this is really about making, it's not about gardening, really. Permaculture, my permaculture design course with Jeff Lawton, he said this thing that like stuck with me and has resonated for years. Permaculture design courses are not a gardening course. You're not there to learn gardening. You're there to learn the systems of the world, the interstitial spaces and connections between all things. You're there, it's like the interdisciplinary like understanding like between everything. Um, you're, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's everything. It's not just gardening. So we need to take that lesson and take it past the garden, past the farm, and apply it to everything. We need to decentralize. We need to make our homes generators of electricity rather than consumers. We need to have our homes capture water rather than constantly shed it. We need to filter water rather than contaminate it. We need to be the force for good in our own lives rather than petition and project all this responsibility that's really our own onto other people. And that's what permaculture is really about. It's about giving the tools to actually do that. Because most people are like, really, man? Oh, I'm gonna take responsibility for that. Right, how the heck do you even start taking responsibility for all your paper and cardboard at home? Well, it's like, yeah, well, we turn it into fungi and then we turn it into soil. And then valuable soil is always desirable. Gardens will take it. Um, you will want it <laughs> if you can use it. Uh, and you, of course, can use it. There's so many different ways we can grow inside now. By the window, all these different things. So don't feel held back. You can do these things. And you're the only one that's going to do them. I mean, the reality is it's like, We've made laws to improve like our recycling, but then it all comes down to the person actually putting it in the right bin. And that doesn't like happen as often as we would like because we've got, you know, if you travel our country, there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of different systems and conceptions of recycling. And then 
within those different conceptions, you have failure points. Like when the price goes below a certain level, they don't recycle it. Sometimes it gets dumped in the ocean, sometimes it gets burned, depending on where you are, you know, and other nefarious things happen. So we need to take responsibility and this is the year to do it. We've got the tools and they're not scary. <laughs> I am offering my book, The Permaculture Student 2, which it was the first peer-reviewed permaculture textbook, the first global textbook since Bill Mollison. Bill Mollison wasn't peer-reviewed, but his was the first cited global textbook, you know, and there hasn't been one since other than my book. And so it's like, that's free for you now to use on my website. Just go there, click on it, download it. The information is out there. There's no secrets anymore, okay? <laughs> We're not making you pay thousands of dollars for you to be successful. We're giving it away. And I'm not the only one. Go look on the internet. <laughs> internet is full of information on how to drastically change your life for the good. And if you want those higher level information, the higher level professional skills, we're here to teach it to you. We're here to teach you the full picture all in detail and to take some time. <laughs> it won't take this short little video, you know. Um, it, it takes, you know, sitting down and, and watching and, and reading and, and studying these things. I hope that you download the Permaculture Student 2 off the permaculturestudent.com and you check it out and see what actually is possible. And, you know, join us maybe for the Permaculture Gardening course. It's got some amazing, incredible bonuses and it's going to be our biggest course ever. We're having all the alumni, all the experienced permaculture gardeners come back. We're having a permaculture gardening certification route now. It's gonna be amazing. It's eight weeks. It's less than $100 to participate in this course. And there's no other course like it. People are saying it's one of the best courses they've ever taken. People are saying it was life-changing. So it's a lot of fun. And I hope that you join us. I hope that you feel like this is your year because it is. And you know, some people hear the take responsibility thing and it's like, ah, painful, you know. But, but the reality thing, it feels great. You know why? Because responsibility is choice. And choice is freedom. When you have control and choice, you feel alive and that's what happens when you are growing a garden, you get tons of food, you feel empowered. But we need to do that outside the garden. We need to do that with our whole community. So we're walking around and we're like, yeah, we dealt with the drought in our community. We no longer have that problem. We work with the, the beavers and we work with earthworks. We work with plants and fungi. And now we have a system and we maintain it. And it's part of our economy, part of our identity. You know. These things can happen, will happen, are happening, have happened, and they can happen to you in your community. So this year, make it a year of regeneration. Use compost <laughs> and fight those weeds. You know, listen to those weeds, learn from them, understand what they're trying to tell you, and then grow past them. Grow abundantly, learn daily, and live regeneratively. I'm Matt Powers. Have an awesome week and let's end this year strong and start 2018 with our dreams filling our dashboards, you know, and our tank full of gas. <laughs> let's go.